Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hi there and welcome to the Explaining History podcast. Um, Today I'm going to be talking a little bit about the Tehran Conference, which was held at the end of November, early December 1943, just as the the outcome of the war is really uh, starting to emerge. The uh, future of of Europe and Asia is is starting to be um, really apparent uh, to most of the uh, the world. it was held, obviously, in uh, Tehran, the capital of Iran, at the Soviet embassy, and it is the um, first meeting where all the um, leaders of the big three, Churchill, Roosevelt and Stalin, are there at the same time. It was unfortunately sunk the following year. Um, Roosevelt and Churchill at that point had discussed the Atlantic Charter, which is really kind of the basis of the of post-war United Nations. Um and the uh, the um, point of uh, the uh, Atlantic Charter discussions was to um, have a kind of a, a, a an ideological, a political, in essence, framework for the prosecution of the war to be able to say, here is what we are standing for as well as what we are standing uh, against. Churchill had conducted shuttle diplomacy with Stalin in uh, Moscow um, despite the fact that Stalin, uh, by and this is in late 1941, um, Stalin was um, facing the most desperate of circumstances, he was still um, able to kind of belittle Churchill, um, as, as was his uh, his style, and suggest that you know the British fighting men were incapable of a victory or they were afraid of the Germans. Something that really um, Churchill um, took. Particular exception to um, the uh, supposedly the apocryphal tale is that the the two men uh, saw eye to eye over a, a long boozy uh, evening in Stalin's apartment. The British and the Soviets had divided and partitioned Iran in 1941. There was the suspicion that Iran might possibly um, become a pro-Axis state. Um, and the division of the country helped to uh, create a, a southern pipeline to the Soviet Union, um, uh, and also it helped the uh, British and the Soviets 
to control Iranian oil, um, something that would have uh, interesting post-war repercussions um, for, for Iran and for the West. Um, Stalin was very paranoid about flying. He was very reluctant to um, go further afield, um, and he eventually agrees to Tehran um, because it become it falls within a, a Soviet sphere of influence. And while he's there on the subject of spheres of influence, his first demands are that the Soviets be given free reign in Eastern Europe at the end of the war, and also. Uh, that the British and the Americans helped to support uh, Tito and the Communist partisans who were fighting a guerrilla war against German occupation. This is interesting because, um, as, as we'll explore hopefully in later podcasts, this is a topic I really want to get to uh, in the near future, um, Stalin and Tito have uh, a, a, an almighty falling out um, after the war um, as Stalin becomes very suspicious of um, communist states that establish themselves without Red Army help and without the um, overall guidance of, of Moscow. What he definitely doesn't want is a, a third way um, emerging, a, um, an independent uh, socialist voice in the world. Far rather Hitler than Tito, he said. Um, one of um, Stalin's uh, issues with um, diplomacy and with conferences that came to light shortly before the Tehran conference, much like his dislike, uh, his eventual dislike of Tito, was his refusal to um, have any meetings with Chiang Kai-shek, the Chinese nationalist leader. Uh, Chiang um, was... Uh, had been uh, actually uh, received direct support from Stalin throughout the the 1930s and had been Stalin's um, favoured um, favoured candidate for uh, rulership of China. Stalin particularly wasn't very keen on um, on Mao emerging, but as the war continued. Um, Chiang Kai-shek's um, territorial claims and the post-war picture of a strong China that he wanted to create that would not brook much Soviet interference meant that the two men came to be um, suspicious and uh, distrustful of one another and uh, Stalin refused to meet Chiang at the Cairo conference that had happened a couple of weeks beforehand. And the next major issue to emerge was that of a second front in Europe. Uh, Franklin Roosevelt had rather rashly promised Stalin in 1942 a, a second front, and uh, Stalin was anxious to know when this was going to transpire. The British um, at the Casablanca conference, if you uh, scroll back a few podcasts, um, there is a, a whole thing on the Casablanca conference in early 1943, had suggested that a, uh, a second front, by which we mean really an amphibious invasion of France a la D-Day, would be um, impossible uh, that year. And Stalin felt that the uh, the continued promises of second fronts, as he saw it, and the continued denial of, of a second front, uh, meant that the West was doing this probably on purpose, to drag out the war in the East as long as possible and to see both sides, Nazism and Communism, destroy each other. And um, he became uh, insistent that 
and, and gave veiled threats that unless some kind of second front emerged, then he might have to make his own peace with Hitler. The um, answer that the, uh, as we see throughout the events of 1943, and again in the Casablanca conference podcast, you can catch this, that um, Churchill believed that a, a second front uh, was already in existence in Italy. Uh, the Allies had invaded Italy in 1943. And the amount of uh, damage and troops tied up by the Allied bombing campaign over Germany, which intensified enormously with the combined bombing offensive of 1943, um, meant that the uh, RAF and the US Army Air Force um, were both bringing a kind of second front from the air to Germany. Churchill was quite happy to um, pursue a Mediterranean strategy because it helped the British to control a stretch of water and territory that was very important to them. It helped them to hang on to the Suez Canal, it helped to have free access to India. Um, the British had uh, bases in Palestine, in Egypt, in Cyprus, in Malta, in Gibraltar. Um, and the um, with the decline of Italy and the elimination of Italy uh, by, uh, by 1944, uh, 1943, I beg your pardon, uh, when Italy um, surrenders and... Uh, uh, Mussolini is uh, ejected from power. It meant that uh, Britain could view herself as the, the dominant power in the Mediterranean, of course propped up with American help. I mean, things like the Battle of El Alamein were not won without enormous quantities of American tanks and artillery. And um, the uh, Churchill was uh, anxious to pursue a Mediterranean strategy that had been successful at Casablanca, all the way through to um, Tehran. Um, and it's at Tehran, really, that Roosevelt pulls rank and says that he believes Operation Overlord, or D-Day, should be the next major, um, the next major operation um, of the, the Western Allies. There have been so many errors and mistakes and failings uh, in the Italian campaign, um, things such as uh, Anzio, um, uh, but really the, the performance of um, uh, British and Commonwealth forces and to some extent American as well within the Mediterranean uh, had been you know, fair, fairly average so um, there was an awful lot of pressure for the uh, cross-channel invasion to happen as soon as possible the Soviets want it and the Americans want it and uh, Churchill is in a very, very difficult bargaining position a date of uh, May 1944 is uh, agreed, and Stalin agrees to coordinate uh, a simultaneous attack, one that eventually um, emerges as Operation Bagration uh, in the East. Because of um, Churchill's insistence on the Mediterranean strategy, um, and because Stalin had recently um, had a, an enormous victory at the Battle of Kursk, which was the, uh, the greatest tank battle in history, um, where the, the Germans were decidedly defeated, um, Stalin has a, um, a huge number of cards to play. Um, not only does he, can he see uh, and has successfully um, spied on um, the British and Americans, um, and, and knows that they are divided and bickering amongst each other. 
but also um, him being able to prevent pre- to present the Russians as successful warriors, as uh, prevent as uh, providing uh, the um, ally, the Grand Alliance, with uh, profound victories, makes it very difficult for people like Roosevelt to not give Stalin what he wants. Stalin's lifelong suspicion of the Poles and his lifelong uh, desire, really um, dating back since 1920, to really dominate Poland, um, and his suspicion that um, Poland could be used as a a means to subvert Soviet security uh, after the war, um, led to him uh, demanding successfully um, the right to retain all uh, territories invaded uh, under the Nazi-Soviet Pact of 1939. Churchill um, thought that by way of compensating the Poles, because of course uh, the British had gone to war to secure Polish freedom, and uh, the discussion of um, handing the Poles from one dictator to another was deeply rancorous to Churchill, and um, he felt it was very difficult to make the case that the war had had any meaning at all to the British people uh, if we if we did that. Um, Churchill decided to insist that uh, the Poles be compensated at the Germans' expense, so a slice of eastern Germany would be given to western Poland. All this is done without uh, a Polish delegation present, uh, much as the uh, Munich conference the outcome of the Munich conference was presented to the Czechs in 1938. And the, the Poles have uh, no idea uh, for about a year that these kinds of decisions are being made. There's one very interesting revealing moment at, uh, at dinner that evening um, where Roosevelt, Stalin and Churchill discussed what to do in terms of punishing Germany. And these are the, the first conversations really... Um, about uh, possible post-war retribution and justice. And Stalin has a a brutally simple solution. He says, let's just take um, 50 to 100,000 of the top men of the regime from Hitler downwards all the way through to um, Nazi party members, generals, officers, and execute them. Um, And... Um, Churchill says this, this would be an unconscionable act um, and storms from the dinner table. Um, in some ways, um, it might be interpreted as one of, the kind of Stalin's games and Stalin's attempts to uh, um, uh, undermine Churchill, to, uh, to wind him up, for want of a better word. Um, but in other ways, it's entirely possible that this is what, what Stalin thought would be uh, an acceptable measure. Um, you know, not only would it um, satisfy Stalin's uh, thirst for retribution, but also it would really decapitate um, German leadership. And this is, in essence, what the Soviets had done in Poland with a purge of the intelligentsia and the clergy. They had, uh, they believed what they were doing was killing off the Poles' ability to to be led in some some meaningful way. So it is entirely possible that that was a serious suggestion. In the outcome of the conference, the uh, communist partisans in Yugoslavia suddenly received a a boost in uh, Allied aid. Originally, 
the uh, uh, anti-fascist partisans, the Chetniks, the nationalists, um, were supported by the uh, British and Americans. Though there had been a strong suspicion for some time that they were not particularly anti-fascist at all and were um, actually quite pro-Nazi and in many instances were cooperating with them um, along uh, the kind of lines of the ethnic civil war um, within Yugoslavia that was also raging at the same time. The um, cross-channel invasions decided for May 1944, though ultimately it happens a month later. And there is also talk of trying to draw Turkey into the war on the Allied side, though nothing eventually comes of this. Turkey declared war on Germany in February 1945, uh, along with uh, a number of other world powers that wanted to um, be part of the, the kind of the post-war order without really having done the, uh, the fighting to create it. One thing that's clear about the Tehran Conference is that there had been a diminution in Britain's role uh, as an Allied decision-maker, um, Britain had been seen in 1942, uh, when the Americans first joined the British in actions, um, as, as perhaps the, the senior partner in the relationship. America had um, a great deal of uh, equipment and money, but perhaps they deferred to the British, assuming they had more fighting experience for various British disasters. Uh, along the way, things such as Tobruk or the fall of Singapore, left the uh, Americans less certain that the the British were really um, capable of uh, of being the uh, uh, the, the wiser uh, elder figure in the relationship, and certainly uh, American manpower, material, and just military might, along with that of the Soviet Union, uh, leaves the the British um, by the end of uh, Tehran. Uh, less uh, diplomatically in charge, slightly more diplomatically isolated, and certainly not able to uh, argue for a Mediterranean strategy uh, any longer. Uh, and that um, is something that has profound implications for the, the post-war world. Um, the post-war world was not one that where the British Empire was going to be able to continue to be a world force um, for for very much longer, certainly um, by the end of the uh, 1950s and the early 1960s, uh, this is definitely the case and it's in rapid decline. So anyway, um, hope you found that interesting. Uh, in the next week or so, we should have the, um, Julia Routledge's The Genocidal Century uh, published on Explaining History and by Christmas, uh, Gina Bolter's new um, After Mao, uh, China from 1976 to uh, the 1990s will be ready as well. Um, and so uh, I'll keep you posted on those. Thanks very much and uh, catch you on the next podcast. Bye-bye. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.